0: Today is Reformation Sunday. Today we remember the work of Martin Luther, who challenged the whole institution of the church at that time by posting 95 theses on his cathedral door, where he was pastor, where he was priest. Through these theses, or topics, as we can consider them, Luther was challenging the pope or some representative of his to enter into debate about his authority that he had for nearly 1,500 years as a tradition of the church, which involved penance and indulgences, which stated that everyone must live a life of penance, and that through penance you were perhaps guaranteed salvation, but it was not a sure thing. The system of penance was quite simple, as it still is today. A person would enter into a confessional booth. They would declare to the priest the sins that they had committed and also the sins that they had may have forgotten that they had committed. The priest would then say, Go, my son, or go, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. But then add to that any number of actions or virtues that the person would have to complete. For example, perhaps so many Lord's prayers, or so many Hail Marys, or so many recitations of the Ten Commandments, or so many attendances at Mass. These were meant to determine the sincerity of the confession of sins. These actions, though, were nullified by the word, with the, the words when he said, go, your sins are forgiven. These requirements wiped out those words. Because the shift of focus was now placed on the actions required by the priest in order to be forgiven. In other words, the actions and works of the penitent were ultimately what gave the surety salvation to the person. And as we discussed last week or a couple weeks ago, it's never enough. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I have doubted the sincerity of someone who has asked me for my forgiveness. Especially if this was not the first time that something had been committed or happened. Are you really sorry, I might ask? How can I trust you this next time? How do I know for sure that you're really sorry? What am I looking for when I say these things? I'm looking for some type of action that marks this person's sincerity no matter how many times this person would say, really, 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 I'm sorry for this. Is there something that this person could do that would obviously change my mind that this person was more sincere now than they were before? I doubt it. Yet I'm connecting my ability to forgive with the ability of another person to show their sincerity. My forgiveness then is earned It's not given out of love. It's not given unconditionally. Well, let's put the shoe on the other foot. There have been times when I was sorry for doing something, the one time in my life, and have asked for forgiveness. My contrition was sincere. But how could I ever prove it? Especially if it wasn't the first time that I did what I may have done. Or maybe if I, if I buy a gift of flowers, or a, or a box of candy, or invite this person out to dinner, or do a special favor, or, or treat them well, maybe this would be something that would stand out as, as a token of my sincerity that I was sorry for what I did. Trying to prove by doing these things that I was really sincere. So I really have to ask myself, and perhaps you can too. Is it natural to ask for forgiveness and then try to prove it that you really are? Do you have to show yourself that you are truly sorry? Or are you really doing it to convince the other person? Okay, let's move that to another example. How many times have we done the same thing in dealing with God? Dear Lord, if you help me through this situation, I promise I will never get into this mess again. In fact, I promise to change my ways. Or perhaps you feel guilty about, you know, maybe you could dedicate yourself more to scripture or prayer or or coming to church and you think that something bad has just happened to you. And you're thinking, well, that's God telling me that I've got to get back to prayer or back to his word. He's kind of punishing me, and so I'm going to show God and bless him by going back, by praying more, reading the Bible more. Aren't these, in a way, seeking to either show God how sorry you are, or impress God by your works or your actions, proving that you have a good heart Proving that you really desire to turn around and make amends? Well, unfortunately, that's how we operate. That's how Homo sapiens does business. That's how we as humans live. And we do so, according to Paul, because we live under the law. Paul talks about it in Romans. In our lesson for today, he talks about the law. But when Paul talks about the law in Romans, he does not merely talk about the Ten Commandments as we know them, God's perfect and holy will. He talks about the law as something that we were born into and under. And as we say with the Lord's Supper, in with and under the form of bread and wine, we can easily say that we have been born in with and under the law. It's a part of our makeup. It's a part of our DNA as fallen creatures from the first people created. We are born into sin. We are held captive by the law of sin and death. We will die. That's not a choice. We will sin. That's not a choice. It's part of our DNA. This will happen. Sin is not merely the actions that we do. Sin is us. The problem goes deeper than just what I can do to impress or cover up. The problem is that we were born under the law, and that's how God had to communicate with us first, was as creatures who had fallen away from him, born under the law. So Paul says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, meaning to all human beings. He is talking about you and me. We are born under the law. We are unrighteous. And when he says in Romans, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God, he's not talking about a few people. He's not talking about those who are just horribly bad who commit murders. He's talking about everyone. He's talking about you and he's talking about me. So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world be held accountable to God. Every creature that walks on the earth is accountable to God. In other words, it's not my opinion if God exists or not. Because God is greater than my opinion. I don't believe in a God. So I don't think that. No, unfortunately, that's not the case. You share flesh and blood with me. We have come from the same Creator, and we are both accountable to that same Creator. It doesn't matter what you believe, because God has stated it, not only in His Word, but in our flesh. One day we will die. We will not live forever. That's not the prize at the end of life. That's a punishment at the end of life. It's not my crown of victory. It's my crown of Florence. In any other words, living as a human being under the law is not a matter of choice or personal belief, but a matter of inescapable fact of having flesh and bone and blood and muscle and a mind that seeks ourself and our pleasure and it seeks to impress others. It seeks to deal. Let's make a deal. you Remember that program on television? That's our nature. Let's make a deal. See if we can make a better deal with God. See if we can make a better deal with someone who I have offended. Because of this inescapable reality of being under the law and judgment, Paul continues. and He says, Therefore no one will be declared sinless or righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. No deal. Nothing to impress God. Because there is not one drop of innocence, there is not one drop of the ability to do good that impresses God, that is a part of our DNA. No one can prove to God that they are sorry. No one can prove to God by covering up their actions or by walking away from them. No one can prove to God by promising to be better. No one can amend their lives by attempting to impress God or a priest who requires certain penitential acts to prove the sincerity of the confession of sins. Because Paul sums it up this way. Therefore, no one will be declared sinless that is righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. And the proof of that, that we become conscious of our sin, is because we want to deal with God. Because the consciousness inside says, yeah, well, we're wrong, but you know, God, I'm going to change. We wouldn't want to make that deal if the law has not spoken to us first and we become conscious of being wrong. The attempts to prove ourselves innocent or make amends only strengthens our own knowledge that we are sinful. Our consciences move us to the only solution that we as human beings know what to do and that is to try and get out of it Or make a better deal. And that's why the law communicates with us. Because we are one and the same with the law. The law communicates with us. Grace and freedom and forgiveness doesn't. Unless we know first that we have sinned under the law. We cannot break out of this prison alone. We are like Willie, free Willie. You remember the popularity of this movie in the beginning of the 90s. When a boy learns that a beloved killer whale is to be killed in an aquarium by its owners, the boy risks everything to free the whale. The whale is held captive. And since he spent his life, his whole life there, he does not know any other life than being held captive. He does not know that he was not created for captivity, but rather to live free. Yet no matter how many times if we were there and we were told the whale that you were held in bondage, that you're a slave here, the whale still can't break free. The whale becomes sick and then he dies in captivity. No, the captivity would kill the whale much the same way us, held in captivity under the law, would die, not free. But the boy sees and knows this and risks everything in order to free that whale. The boy sets the whale free. Do you see what I'm saying here? Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. Jesus said to the Jews in our gospel today, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family but a son belongs to it forever so if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. amen if you hold to my teachings you are really my disciples then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free what is this truth the truth is who we are The truth that sets you free, that there is no breaking free either from the law, nor our consciences, nor our desire to try and prove to God our innocence, or disguise our sins. That's the truth. Because if nobody will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, someone needs to set us free. Someone needs to open the gate that has held us captive a cage of sin and death, and set us free. And here Paul writes that the only person to do that, of course, is Jesus Christ. Not in making amends or promises or deception that we ourselves can do it, because he says there is no difference between Jews and Gentiles. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith, not by our actions, not by our covering it up. So Martin Luther risked his life, not the same way Christ did, obviously, but he risked his life as did John Huss who was a reformer, a Czech reformer, who lost his life, burned at the stake in 1415 for the sake of freeing God's people from penance and thinking that they themselves can forgive their own sins and make a deal with God. Luther risked his life and challenged 1,300 years of church teaching that centered around one verse in Matthew that had one mistranslated word. In the Greek it says, do repent, for the kingdom of God is near. But in the Latin translation used at that time by the Roman church, the translation is, do penance, for the kingdom of God is near. Repentance is the acknowledgement of who you are before God. Captive and slaves to sin, and ultimately death as judgment. It acknowledges the impossibility of setting yourself free. It relies only on the truth that Christ's sacrifice, death, and resurrection is your life, not your work.
1: Now, you may think
0: that the story of Luther and the Reformation is something that happened in history some 501 years ago. And that history has changed things, but it has not. In talking with many devout Roman Catholics over many years, when getting to the subject of salvation, forgiveness of sins, and the sure knowledge of eternal life with God, doubt is almost always expressed. Well, we will have to wait and see. Or, I don't think I'm good enough. These are common expressions. The proclamation of the gospel as the only truth that sets us free to be what God has intended us to be since the time of creation has yet to be shared with all people. As long as people trust in themselves to merit eternal life through promises, actions, penance, dealing with God, there is always a place to learn about what Christ has done for us. It is the blood of Christ that has set us free to be people of God so that we too may invite others who are captive under the weight of sin, depression, abandonment, loss, loneliness to come and know a Savior who loves them and has forgiven them all of their sins. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're interested in knowing more about Jesus Christ or about Grace Lutheran Church, please go to www.gracealoneonline.org. You can email us at gracealoneonline at gmail.com.